sorry, I hadn't had a chance to hold that baby yet. I uh, told Judy on Tuesday that uh, usually when a baby's born in the church, that first Sunday, um, well, we actually took dinner to them, um, but I was feeling sick, so I just stayed in the vehicle and didn't go up to see the baby. And um, so I didn't get a chance to visit then. And then the first Sunday that the baby's brought to the church, zero chance any man is going to be able to hold it. <laughs> so I didn't, hadn't had a chance yet, and um, I had to take a chance, even if it was just a couple of minutes. So um, thank you for coming back. We're going to be looking at Psalm 146, um, this second service. Um, I should move this. It looks stupid. Okay. Um, all right. So Psalm 146. If you'll turn there here in a minute, um, I'm going to have you stand when we read it, but not yet. Because I like it to see you guys do calisthenics. It's a lot more fun. Um, so we've now come to our final psalm in the Summer and the Psalm series. And it's uh, my joy to be able to bring this psalm to you today. I was telling um, Joe Flayhive that this is, you know how Pastor says that that's one of his favorite verses? This is one of my favorite psalms. Um, I love Psalm 146. We actually sing this psalm um, in the youth group or a portion of it. We don't sing the whole thing. We sing a portion of it. And so... Um, I'm reminded of the thoughts, uh, some of these thoughts, whenever we sing it in the youth group. And my favorite portions of the psalm are not even the parts that we sing in the youth group. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that. The Westminster Catechism begins with this question. What is the chief end of man? The psalms as a whole, beginning with Psalm 1, all the way to Psalm 150, teach us the answer to this question. And what is the answer? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Psalter is uninterrupted praise to God. Throughout our years that we have been doing this study of summer in the Psalms here at Hope, we've studied the author's griefs, Shames, sins, doubts, and fears. We have witnessed the people of God in their defeats and victories, their ups and downs in life. We have encountered rebellious words and struggling faith. In all of that, the ultimate theme of all the Psalms is the glory of God and His worthiness. And now, our praise. And that is what we have now that we have come to these final five psalms, and I'm not going to look at all five of them, but they are put together on purpose. Starting with our psalm, Psalm 146, and continuing through the rest of the psalms, every one of them begins and ends with praise. Specifically, they all begin and end with the words, praise the Lord. Spurgeon said of these last five psalms, the rest of our journey lies through the delectable mountains. All is praise to the close of the book. The key is high-pitched. The music is upon the high-sounding cymbals. Oh, for a heart full of joyful gratitude. 
that we may run and leap and glorify God, even as these psalms do. Praise is where all true religious contemplation should end. When all is said, the hearts of those who are truly God's people beat their last praising God. We see the different authors of the Psalms express this truth, but it should be true of us as well. We should understand enough about the nature of God to praise Him in spite of the difficulties that we may come to see in our lives. Because of this, once God, the Holy Spirit, changes our hearts so that we can hear the call of God and we heed that call, accepting Christ as our Savior, then our only response from that moment until we draw our last breath should be to glorify God and bring Him and Him alone all the praise that we can possibly muster. So now is the time I will ask you to stand and we are going to read the psalm in its entirety. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So our first point today in our psalm is extreme resolve. And we see this in our first two verses. I'll read them again for you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We begin this psalm with a resolve by the author. You will notice that unlike some of the other psalms that we've been studying, and even the previous eight psalms before we got to this one in the Psalter, all of them have a superscript to help us understand who the author was and what type of psalm they are. But this psalm and all of the final five psalms do not contain the superscript. Therefore, we do not know the author or the time period that the psalm was written. What we know is that the author of Psalm 146 is concerned with the praise of the Lord. Look at how the psalm begins. It says, praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, it is just one word, and I'm sure you all know this word. It is hallelujah. 
So our first point under extreme resolve is the command. And we see this command in verse 1. The first word that we see is a compound word made up of two Hebrew words. The first word in Hebrew is Hallel. Then the second word is Yah. This later, this, this word combined is very thought. It's common throughout the Psalms especially. And this Yah, it's common to be found. And it's a, a shortening, an abbreviation of God's name, Yahweh. This is why our English Bibles, as you will see, are all translated with all caps. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all capital letters. Anytime you ever see, in the, especially in the Old Testament, um, well, not especially, in the Old Testament, anytime you see it as Lord and it's just a capital L and then little O, little R, little D, then that word in the Hebrew is Adonai. Okay? You see God and it's capitalized, it's Elohim. Okay? So here we see Yah or Yahweh. Hallelujah. The first part of this compound word, Hallel, is an imperative. It is a command, meaning praise. And therefore, we translate this word hallelujah as praise the Lord. If you have an NESB or an ESV version of your translation of your Bible, you'll notice that there's an exclamation point put after this command. This is on purpose. It should be there. It's meant to give us more emphasis. And this is truly an exclamation when the writer of the psalm writes, hallelujah, there should be seven exclamation points after it. The psalmist says that praising God is not an option. He's commanding us to do it. He is emphatically commanding his readers to make sure that they are praising the Lord. And I want to interject here and talk about something that's not really talked about in the psalm, but I think it's very important that we all understand. This word hallelujah is fairly common in our culture. Even if you didn't know that it was a biblical word before today, you knew the word. You've heard it before. And I think this is a problem. Our culture has trivialized this word. It has become a word that is used when something is super great. Recently, I was sitting with some of my family watching a television show. I know, you can stone me later. On the show, there were some teenagers in a school, and their class was dismissed. Three of the teenagers started talking, and a fourth came up and said, I'm going to change the subject. At this time, one of the original three exclaimed, Hallelujah! Even Charles Spurgeon recognized this in his day, and I feel it has gotten worse. Spurgeon wrote, It is, a, it is saddening to remember how this majestic word had been trailed in the mire of late. Its irreverent use is an aggravated instance of taking the name of Jehovah, our God, in vain. With holy awe, let us pronounce the word hallelujah and by it summon ourselves and all others to adore the God of the whole earth. And the author here in our psalm doesn't just stop with the command to praise the Lord. Right? I love this next line. First he commands everyone, praise the Lord. 
Next, he looks to himself. He looks inwardly and realizes that he needs to listen to his own admon admonition that he just gave to everyone else. He needs to personalize it. So he says to himself, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. My friends, I want you to know that anyone that teaches you and does not teach himself at the same time is worth naught. God and his word should stir the soul of the teacher as well as those he is teaching. And the teacher of this psalm is expressing that he, is, he commands everyone to praise the Lord, but he is also commanding himself. When we praise God, my friends, I pray that we will arouse our innermost self to praise. We have but one soul, and if it is saved from eternal wrath, then it must be bound to praise the Savior. Spurgeon said, come heart, mind, thought, come my whole being, my soul, my all, be all on flame with joyful adoration. Wherefore, let me put my soul into the center of the choir and then let my better nature excite my whole manhood to the utmost height of loving praise. Oh, for a well-tuned harp? Nay, rather, oh, for a sanctified heart. Then if my voice should be of the poorer sort and somewhat lacking in melody, yet my soul without my voice shall accomplish my resolve to magnify the Lord. I feel the same way. My voice is of a poorer sort. But that doesn't mean I can't praise my God. Secondly, in our second verse, we see the resolve. The resolve. First we saw the command. Now we see the resolve. We read, I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. My friends, we will not live forever in this mortal body here on this earth. The psalmist understands this truth and expresses that it is his desire to make sure that while he does live, he will be employed with the singing of the praises of his God. I pray that we all will have this same resolve. While we are here on this earth, may we laud the lovely name of Jesus. We do not know how long or short our lives will be, but every hour I pray that our lives are dedicated to the praise of our God. While I live, I will love, and while I have breath, I will bless. Our lives are short, and my friends, we should not waste it away in idleness, but consecrate our lives to the same employment that we will occupy for all eternity. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, so why start later when we could be spending now practicing for heaven when I was in college there was this band that I really liked they weren't just at my college everybody listened to this band but I really liked this band I still listen to them today and they have this song it's called perseverance of the saints listen to the lyrics the singer says I will keep preaching till I'm took out till I'm heaven in route no sellout Last breath before the candle flickers out, I will speak the name of Jesus. Is that your resolve, my friends? With your last breath, will you be doing the same thing you were doing with your second to last breath? 
Or will that last breath be the first time you praise the Lord for what he has accomplished and applied to you? Thomas Watson said it this way, The motion of our praise must be like the motion of our pulse, which beats as long as life lasts. Spurgeon in the treasury of David relays a story of a man named John Janeway who cried out these words on his deathbed. I pray that you will listen to this. This is wonderful. Come, help me with praises. Let everything that hath being help me to praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise is now my life work. And I shall be engaged in this sweet work now and forever. Bring the Bible. Turn to David's psalms and let us sing a psalm of praise. Come, let us lift our voices in the praise of the Most High. I will sing with you as long as my breath doth last. And when I have none, I shall do it better. Now come to verse 3. So verse 3 and 4, we see erroneous trust. We saw the extreme resolve in verses 1 and 2. Now we see erroneous trust. I'll read them again, read these verses. It says, Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Oh, this is where we get things wrong. Too often we trust that in those that do not deserve our trust. The people of Israel came to Samuel and cried out to him, Find us a king to lead us so that we can be like other nations. They trusted in a human king instead of putting their faith in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Theoretically, we know that God is of supreme importance, but he is invisible to us and usually also remote from our thoughts. Men are far too apt to depend upon the great ones of earth and forget the great one in heaven. We trust politicians thinking that the president or Congress or a mayor or some other highly placed persons will be able to solve our problems, but they can't even solve their own. They are constantly failing and falling. A, another band that I enjoy sings a song, and they express this thought exactly. The lyric goes like this. Your life doesn't change by the man that's elected. How true this is, especially for the Christian. We seem to put a lot of faith in things being different just because one person is president over a different man. We seem to allow these things to dominate our thoughts and our speech. But in the end, it is the God of heaven that should enjoy our trust and not a man or a woman in the White House. Anthony Farrandon once said, For one man to put confidence in another is as if one beggar should ask an alms of another, or one cripple should carry another, or the blind lead the blind. There is no salvation in any man. At the end of the day, we could select one great man out of many, maybe even the greatest man, and we could imagine that he is different than all the rest, and we could depend upon him. My friends, you would be mistaken. There is no man that can be trusted for salvation. No, not one. Adam fell, 
Therefore, we should not lean on any of his sons. In man, there is no help in times of mental depression. In the day of extreme bereavement, in the night of conviction of sin, or in the hour of death. But our God is a very present help when we are in trouble. When we despair, we can look to him for salvation. Isaiah 2.22 helps us understand that we live but one breath at a time. Why would we regard man who also lives but one breath at a time? Why should we esteem anyone above the God of heaven? The spirit of man returns to God who gave it, and the flesh of man returns to the dust from where it was made. This is a poor creature to trust in, a dying creature, a corrupt creature. Those hopes will surely fail and fall to the ground, which are built upon men who are under the ground. Men's ambitions, expectations, declarations, and boastings all vanish into thin air when the breath of life vanishes from their bodies. The only being in all the universe that any of us can depend on, that any of us can place our trust unconditionally is God. So worship and praise God. Mere men cannot save, but blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And that brings us to verse 5, where we see the excellent hope. The excellent hope. Verse 5 reads, How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord our God, and Lord his God. The psalmist now expresses to his readers that while there is no hope in man, no hope in princes, no hope in presidents, no hope in science, no hope in education. There is hope in the God of Jacob. There is hope in Yahweh, his God. God alone can save us in contrast to the important people of the world who cannot and would not even if they could. God saves us from our enemies, the greatest of which is death. He saves us from death, the wrath of God through the work of Christ on the cross. A man is truly blessed if this God is his help, if this God is his hope. The God of Jacob is the God of the covenant, the God of wrestling prayer, the God of the tried believer. He is the only living and true God. The God of Jacob is Yahweh, who appeared to Moses and led the tribes of Jacob out of Israel, or out of Egypt, and through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then through the wilderness where their clothes nor sandals wore out. Those who put their trust in him are truly happy, truly blessed. For they shall never be ashamed or defeated. The Lord never dies. Neither do his thoughts perish. His purpose of mercy like himself endures throughout all generations. Happy is he whose help or salvation is in the God of Jacob. But also how happy is he whose hope is in the Lord, his God. This is an amazing thing to think about, my friends, to be truly blessed and happy, even in times that may not seem happy. When others are despairing, the one that hopes in the Lord will be happy. They will know a happiness that is beyond description, beyond even belief, beyond anything we could ask or think. My dear friends, is it not truly a blessed thing to know that God is our very present help and our excellent and eternal hope. 
we can have full assurance that as sure as the sun will set this evening and rise again tomorrow, that the God of heaven and earth is the only one that can truly, that we can truly be blessed in. The psalmist does not leave us there, though. No. He assures us that we can trust what he is saying because God has accomplished and is accomplishing many things. So why should we praise God? Why do we put our hope? Why in him? Why is he our help? The psalmist gives us 11 reasons for us to know that God is our help and our hope. 11 reasons why we should praise the Lord every second that we have breath to sing aloud. So our next point is the extensive reasons. You see these in verses 6 through 9. First, he is the creator of all things. Concerning all our circumstances, we may say that the Lord is there. In storms, in hurricanes, the Lord reigns as truly as he reigns in the calm. He created all things in the span of six days and all very good. He made the land and trees. He made the sea and all that is within it. He made the sun and the moon and the stars. Dear people of hope, he made you and he made me. Our second reason that we can praise him is that he is faithful. Not only did he make all things, but he is faithful forever. He saves us. And after he saves us, we can trust that he will remain faithful in his salvation. We can trust that he will bring us to the end, preserve, and allow us to persevere. We persevere because God preserves us. My friends, God is immutable. He never changes. His promises will never not come true. He will never allow his truth, his promises to fail. His word will not return void. He is true to his own nature, true to the relationships which he has assumed, true to his covenant, true to his word, true to his son. He keeps truth and is the keeper of all that is true. He is faithful forever. Next, we see that he is just. We see that he is just. What a truth it is that God will bring justice to all that deserve it. Can I get an amen? What a glorious and praise-inducing truth it is to recognize that God will make sure that justice is accomplished for all people. For some that justice is the eternal bearing of the wrath of God. But the psalmist expressed that those who are, who are oppressed will also receive justice. My friends, before Christ, we were oppressed, weighed down by sin. It was a burden that we could not bear. And without the intervention of the shedding of the blood of Christ, then we too would have bore the eternal wrath of God. But praise be to God that the just punishment for our sins, if we are in Christ, was paid for by his work on the cross. We are justified. 
declared righteous because we deserve it. We deserve it not because of any work we have done, but because of the blessed work of the Redeemer, of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross, taking upon himself our shame and enduring the full and terrible wrath of God. Because he bore our punishment, his righteousness was imputed to us, charged to our account, so that we are seen as righteous and deserving of God's eternal love and grace. He is both just and the justifier, and that is an exceptional reason to praise God. Fourth, he is Jehovah Jireh. Fourth, he is Jehovah Jireh. In our passage here, it says that he gives food to the hungry in verse 7. Think on this for a minute, my friends. What do you possess that you gained on your own? When we sit down to eat, do we not acknowledge that God was the provider of our feast? When we wake up in the morning, should we not acknowledge that God was the provider of the blessing of living one more day to his praise and glory? When we come to this building every Sunday, is it not God who provided for us a place to worship him? Was it not God who gives us all good things? James 1.17 reminds us that God truly is the God who provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. James says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He is Jehovah Jireh. Next, we see that he is a redeemer. The psalmist says that he sets the prisoners free. The psalmist focus from here through the first part of verse 9, if you look, he starts every one with Yahweh. This is his focus. The Lord. The next five lines, the author uses the covenant name of God to start each line. He wants to make sure that there is no doubt who is accomplishing these things. Here he speaks of the Lord setting the prisoners free. We can be sure that he is speaking of being set free from the prison of sin. In Romans 7.23, Paul expresses he was the prisoner of the law of sin. But now through Christ he has been set free from the law of sin and death. Jesus is our Redeemer. He has truly set us free so that we can serve God and be free to do what is right. Verse 8 says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He is the healer. Our next reason is that he is the healer. Jesus most definitely fits this description of opening the eyes of the blind. He healed this malady many times in the Gospels. For sure, he who made the eye can open it. And when he does so, it is to his glory. But beyond the physical healing of the blind... God opens the eyes of the heart. We were blind to the truths of God before the Holy Spirit worked in our hearts and opened the eyes to see the truth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. 
The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. He is the edifier. You see, the Lord is the edifier. I'm reminded of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18, 9 through 14. I'll read it for you. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone who exalts or raises up himself will be humbled or bowed down. But he who humbles himself or bows down will be exalted, raised up. My friends, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you are trusting in princes or even yourself to save you, I implore you to hear the words of the psalmist and humble yourself so that God can raise you up and justify you based on the work of Christ. Look to Christ as the one that can raise you up. Take the shadow of the cross and make it your abiding place. Look upon the cross and see the very form of the one that died and suffered there for you. Be content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. Do not trust in the work that you do. Understand and be ashamed at your sinful self and be raised up so that you can glory in the cross. Next we read, the Lord loves the righteous. The next reason for us to praise God is that he is love. The wonder of God's redeeming love brings me to tears, just as the hymn writer of Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Truly it is a wonder that I do not understand. His love for me, his love for you, is truly a wonder. Because none of us deserve it except because of the worth of Christ on our behalf. My friends, we have not made ourselves righteous. God has made us righteous in Christ because of his glorious love for us. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, and nature's night, 
Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Verse 9, the Lord protects the stranger. He is a protector. If you look on in verse 9, it says that he supports the fatherless and the widow. Our next two points are protector and caring. He is protector and he cares for his people. These three people, the alien, the orphan, and the widow, are often cited in the Old Testament as examples of those who are defenseless. God watches over them and protects them from the wicked. God cares for those that are not cared for by others. In the Old Testament, God made provisions for the stranger and the orphan and the widow. They were able to glean from the fields. If anything fell to the ground, it was left for the strangers and those that were in need. God cares for us. We are in this world, and it is not our home. We are the alien. And God is caring for us now as he prepares us for our eternal home where we will be with our heavenly father for eternity as his adoptive sons and daughters. We will experience the joys of being the bride of Christ and all the benefits of and rights that go along with it. He, oh wait, he thwarts the way of the wicked is our next section. We see here that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Our God will not be thwarted. His plans will endure. He will not allow the ways of the wicked to pass. Remember Psalm 1. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. My friends, the psalmist has given us 11 reasons to praise him, to put our hope in him. Our God, who is our help, he is our creator, he is faithful, he is just, he is Jehovah Jireh, redeemer, healer, edifier, lover, protector, carer, and he is sovereign. Finally, we read in verse 10, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of our Lord will truly reign forever. It will never come to an end. He does not die nor abdicate his throne. 
He does not lose his crown by force. Glory be to his name because his throne is never in jeopardy. As the Lord lives forever, so he will reign forever. From generation to generation, he will be praised forever. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time where we can come before your word and you can teach us about who you are because it is who you are that causes our praise. Father, we do pray that we can resolve like the psalmist here to spend the rest of our lives praising you. That as long as we have breath, praise will come out of our mouths. Father, I think of the fact that it takes a breath just to speak. And so every breath, as we exhale and form words with our mouth, may they be praised to you for eternity. Father, we know that once we leave this earth, that we will be with you in heaven, and we will spend eternity occupied by one thing, and that is to praise you. I pray that we will practice that here today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.